Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. We are here on Friday morning in Doha, Friday in the middle of the night, back home in the States, getting ready for the U.S.'s round of 16 matchup on Saturday against the Netherlands, obviously coming off of the extreme emotional roller coaster, eventually an emotional high of the 1-0 win against Iran on Tuesday. Now getting ready for a formidable opponent, but one that has some vulnerabilities for sure. I think the U.S. could have done a lot worse than draw the Netherlands in in this round um, on Saturday to potentially advance to the quarterfinals and and see how far they can go. Uh, A couple of big things heading into this game that we're going to touch on. um, But Paul, broadly speaking, just broadly, and we're going to dive into the nitty gritty, but broadly speaking, how do you feel about this one? I think I feel pretty good, actually, matchup-wise. Like, this isn't a game where I think the U.S. is going to be overwhelmed by the opponent. The Netherlands haven't played particularly well in this tournament. It's not like they've been uber-convincing, even though they they did finish with two wins and a draw. Um, They have their issues. And I think the U.S. has been playing very well in this tournament. They've had good plans, tactical plans of how to attack opponents. They've been very, very solid defensively, which is not a new thing about this team. They, they are very organized and difficult to break down in general. So, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and act like, yeah, I'm going to call for a win. But I think that this is definitely, you know, at worst, a coin flip game. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't think it would be crazy to say that anyone, for anyone to say that they thought the U.S. would, would win this game. Like, I think it's, it's a fair statement to make. We'll get more into that later in the show, but I think it's also fair to say that the Netherlands is not the best team that the U.S. will have faced at this tournament. England is better than they are, in my opinion, pretty much yeah. at every level of the field. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an intriguing matchup and one that I think the U.S. does feel confident about and should feel pretty confident about. A couple of big new, news items, though. Injury issues. Christian Pulisic obviously left the Iran match at halftime after getting injured, scoring his goal with a pelvic contusion. Paul, I'm not going to lie. I thought that was just a euphemism. (laughs) Christian Pulisic said, and I feel comfortable saying this because it was a direct quote, that he, quote, didn't like get hit in the balls. Um, So there you go confirmation from Pulisic from the man himself uh he did say that the pelvic contusion has been quite painful although he is no longer really experiencing any pain we do not know if he trained on Thursday night he spoke to us in a press conference right before the U.S. was set to train he was going to go talk to the doctors and medical staff and coaching staff after that press conference to see okay how much should I do should I train um so we'll see um I would I would be stunned though Paul if he didn't play on Saturday he certainly seemed like he was ready to play. I thought, um, you know, I, I don't know how deep we'll go into this right now, Sam, but 
You know, what strikes me about Christian Pulisic is that he seems comfortable. And yeah. he hasn't seemed comfortable for almost his whole career. You know, he it's almost as like getting here to this stage has released and relieved some pressure on him. Um, you know, understandably, he carried what happened in 2017 in Cuba with him. He, he's not in a club situation where he has ever had a chance to relax um, and, and be kind of comfortable with where he is in that club. He's constantly, constantly fighting to prove himself. He's looked at as a disappointment by uh, a good large chunk of, of people um, in that club at or Chelsea. around that club yeah. at Chelsea. And and yet he's arrived here and he, he just seems like he's in a good good mood. He seems happy. Yeah. He seems um, to be enjoying himself. And, you know, I've written this, I've said it, like he, he's a big game player. He showed that again the other night with a goal. And, you know, our friend Michele Giannone asked a question of him asking, you know, what it feels like to have a Landon Donovan moment. And I thought Christian Pulisic's answer was fantastic where he said, I hope I haven't had that moment, frankly. Yeah. Like we're happy with where we are right now, but there's still more to come. And it just kind of dripped of that confidence. It dripped of that comfort level of the fact that he seems to be enjoying himself. He smiled as he said it early on. Like, should I say this? Like, nah, I'm going to say it. So I think there's no way he doesn't, start frankly like I, yeah I, it just it'd be a hell of a fake out man if he's yeah. like totally injured and he can't go at all <laughs> yeah so i i mean it's i and i i just i i i feel like he's got more to to contribute yeah no i i feel pretty much exactly how you feel uh it's been nice to see actually him feel it, like he looks happier than he usually does. And, and I, I think that's been nice. You know, it, it helps that he's been playing pretty well, of course. Um, but even before the tournament began, he, he was a little bit more open and unguarded, I would say, than he usually is in, in the one media availability session that he did before the Wales game. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think Pulisic is feeling pretty good right now, apart from that injury. And, and I think he should be feeling pretty good right now. The other piece of injury news is regarding Josh Sargent, striker. He obviously left the Iran game. When was that? Like the seventy seventh or something like that. Seventy seventh is when he was subbed out. So yeah. The injury happened a few minutes. Before it was a, such a. It was an awkward play, and an Iran player came in on a slide tackle. Sargent hopped over it, and his toe basically, as he was landing, landed on the ball, and he kind of jammed his knee, and then rolled his ankle. He is day to day with right ankle soreness, according to the U.S. Soccer Federation. We know less about his status than we do about Pulisic's. Uh, that injury didn't look great. Paul, I believe you were in the scrum with Sargent after the match on Tuesday. He didn't sound super optimistic about his chances then. Of course, that's in the immediate aftermath, and, and you got to give those things a little bit of time. But, I mean, if you had to guess, you, you think we see him on, on Saturday against the Netherlands? Yeah, I mean, it was just two of us that were there with Sargent when he was talking, and you're right. He seemed to be a little bit pessimistic. Um, I think this one is going to be a little bit of a race against time to get him fit and get him ready. Yeah, I would say uh, that I would I would probably rate it as unlikely for Josh Sargent to start, um, or maybe the better way to put it is that you know less likely than likely. Like so, under fifty percent chance. Under fifty percent chance <laughs> of starting, um, but no doubt in my mind that they need him. And so sometimes when you need a guy, you find ways to get him on the field. They find yeah. ways if you're not, if you're going to do it, if you're going to, you know, get a shot in your ankle and jump on the field or whatever. You're going to do it for a World Cup knockout match. Yeah. 
Uh, that being said, maybe we see Jesus Ferreira for the first time in this tournament. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the 11 a little bit more here. Um, do you want to start with striker? Do you just want to continue that discussion? I mean, is, do you think there's any chance that Haji Wright gets gets a start after what we saw yeah, off I the mean, bench? There's from a him? chance. I mean, there's only two other options, so you know, it's not like well, he's the, like theoretically, Berhalter said the other day prior to the Iran game that he hadn't really been considering Pulisic or Wea or Reyna or Morris or anybody else as a number nine. He was just thinking about the three strikers: Ferreira, Sargent, and Wright. Maybe that'll change, but. As of now, when we haven't gone to his pregame press conference just yet, that's that's the latest. So that's the assumption we're working off of. Yeah, and I, I think, like, look, I, Haji Wright could start the game. What what the role was for Haji Wright the other night would be very different than – is very different than what he would be asked to do as a starter in this game. Yeah. You know, that, that performance very different. from him was late in a game where the U.S. was under constant pressure and his job was to press and defend and try to prevent – Long balls from being served into the box. He obviously did not accomplish that no. role. That I, and task. I have I have to imagine that left a pretty strong negative impression on the coaching staff. Yeah, I would I would think so as well. But again, this is a different game and a different task. And sometimes you're gonna have to just kind of shake something off if you think the player's the best solution yeah. for you to win a game. Like it's not time to, you know, make final decisions on guys because of, you know, that I, I don't think Haji Wright would come in to this game against the Netherlands if the U.S. is up one nothing with 15 minutes left <laughs> no. to go. Like, I don't think we'll see that <laughs> no. usage again. But I think, you know, if you're starting a game and you're, you're looking for somebody who can score goals, can get in the box, can uh, mix things up kind of the way he, he likes to have those back shoulder runs and, and open his body up and try to get into the box, like, I think he could play. But, you know, my, my gut would say that if Sargent can't go, that it would be Ferreira. Um, Don't love the matchup for Jesus, but you got to do what you got to do. I mean, you're not going to win. Haji Wright's not going to win headers against the Dutch center backs either. He's actually not very good in the air. No, it's a little bizarre. I mean, but he's he's you, decent at like bringing the ball down to his chest or yeah. to his, you know, but winning the balls with a head, he, he's not great at it. Um, he's not as physical as you'd think of a player. So I don't think you're sacrificing that much there. I think against the Holland, you're not going to be wanting to play a lot of long balls in the air against no, that back line. It's not a, not so much about long balls. It's more about the positions the U.S. have been getting into in attack, which a lot of them have been down the flank, hitting a lot of crosses, this U.S. team. And so it's who do you, who do you want in there for those? I don't know. I don't feel great about any of the options, to be frank. I mean, I, I would, yeah, I would say like how many headers have the U.S. forwards <laughs> they had, had to this point? Very, 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 very I, few. I, I don't know, yeah. maybe one yeah. combined. So I don't think it's an issue. Uh, you know, Jesus Ferrer can press. You look at his numbers, his pressing numbers with FC Dallas. He does it quite efficiently. Yep. Um, he's good on the ball. So I think we're in agreement here. Sargent, if he's healthy, and Ferreira, if he's not. Yeah, I would. I would be. I would be surprised if Berhalter went with anyone else. Um, as far as like like another position player moving into the number nine spot. So yeah, yeah. I, I, my gut says that it'll be that they're, they're going to try to find a way to get Sargent onto the field. But if he can't go, that you yeah. know, Ferreira will be the guy. Wingers, I mean, we already gave our, our two cents on Pulisic. Both of us would be shocked if he did not start. Uh, and I would also be equally shocked if Tim Weah did not start. I think that's fairly obvious at this point. Gio Reyna, uh, continued reserve role for me. I don't, I don't think we've yeah. seen anything to change that. No, I mean, look, Tim Weah had a goal in the first game. Should have had an assist in the second game to Weston McKinney that, that went yeah. over the top. Third game, he did he, his job on that one. <laughs> third, third game, he scored again. It was called offside. 
He was, a, he was not as good in the third game, but he was super active, just not quite as efficient as he, he had been. He was one of the only guys that get in behind the line yep. and put a shot on goal. I yep. mean, he also missed his one shot on goal, too, that, that was there in the box. but And and wasted another with that header. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, again, in dangerous positions. And I think if Christian Pulisic can't start, I think Gio Reyna does start the game. I think Like for like, straight on the left. Yeah, side. I think where, where Gio Reyna has struggled is that when substitutions have happened for the U.S., they've been in positions where Gio Reyna's strengths can't really be used as much other than, and we mentioned this in the postgame show, that 65th minute substitution, if you think you're going to try to get hold of the game more, Gio Reyna comes in on the wing, Brendan yeah. Aronson slides inside. Clearly, Burhalter felt like they weren't going to get hold of the ball more. He wanted players who are kind of defensive-minded first. Um, to go in or know how to play that way. But I, I, I don't know. I don't remember if I mentioned this on the show because it was 5 in the morning or whatever time it was, 6 in the morning when we were recording. But, you know, when Christian Pulisic got hurt and, and was looked like he wasn't going to come back in in the first half, Greg Berhalter motioned for Gio Reyna to come yeah, into the game. He's, I think he did he, mention that. He started running down the sideline, and then Christian decided he was going to give it a go, and, and he told you to go back. And, th- and that, to me, shows that, like, when the U.S. is – is playing and wants the ball and, and wants to be attacking more like that's how you think of Gio Reyna coming so in. If so they, if they have a deficit on Saturday, yeah, or if Christian Pulisic, they or have if, not had in this tournament. They have not been. They have not trailed for one second. Right. Or Cup. or if if Christian can't go. Yeah. Right. I think I think you you go to Gio instead of Brendan because they're very similar roles. Yeah. For, for Gio and Christian, so that that would be my take on the Gio Reyna situation. I agree with that. If Pulisic cannot start, I would also start Gio Reyna. Um, midfields obvious. Adams, Musa, McKenney. What is not obvious, Paul, how much gas these guys have left in the tank. They have done an incredible amount of running and pressing. Adams and Musa in particular, and McKenney, of course, has been subbed off in all three games. Um, Musa in particular has looked gassed, I think, in every single match and a little bit earlier in each subsequent match, which is totally understandable. These guys are doing an insane amount of work in there and they've been excellent particularly defensively it's just do they have another one in the legs and then if so do they have another one after that because the options behind them there's a big drop off and 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 you certainly aren't going to be starting anybody else but that could affect greatly how this game goes particularly paul because the netherlands have not been doing the same level of running particularly high intensity running yeah we'll get into this more think in, in the next segment but you know for me Tyler Adams is so crucial in this game in in the areas that he needs to cover the people he needs to be aware of no doubt those three guys start I'm not too worried about it you know Eunice Moose is 20 years old he's he'll be fine um, and hopefully you can make a sub in the second half for for both he and McKenney that that makes sense for you um, I don't know that you can by the way <laughs> yeah I mean the depth of this team is what it is like they're not England like we, yeah. we know that so um, uh, those three have to start. They've been very, very good, and, yeah. and I think they'll be fine. In the back, goalkeeper, obviously, Matt Turner. Fullbacks, Serginho Dest, Anthony Robinson. Um, no questions about Anthony's fitness. That guy is a total beast athletically, and he has been playing this sort of schedule for a long time in England without issue. Dest hasn't been able to make it to the end of any match. This one obviously has a little bit of a different feel for him being born and raised in the Netherlands, growing up in the Ajax Academy, making his pro debut there. You know, I think he was in the Ajax reserves at the same time De Jong and De Ligt were making that run to the Champions League semifinals with the first team, Daily Blind as well. 
um, familiar with a lot of the guys on his squad. He'll have a little extra juice. Will that carry over into him being able to see out the match? Probably not, I would guess, uh, I mean, but we'll for, see. For me, I'm keeping an eye on just kind of how much he allows emotion to override his responsibilities. Like, that's something that... I'm actually not worried I, about that. I think him. he needs to just be aware of it. You know, I, I, I think this is going to be a big game for him. He's been so up for everything so far. He's, He's been, been great. really, really good. Yeah. Um, very disciplined at times when he needs to be disciplined. Very involved in the attack. Um, Got the assist the other by night. Design, yeah. By design. And and I think he's going to be really important in this game as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how he approaches this game, and and I I would imagine that he's going to go out there. He's and, he's going to have a point to prove for yeah. sure because he, like I did the story on Serginio where I went to his hometown, I spoke to his father, and the one of the main reasons he's with the U.S. There's there's a sense of of Americanness there for sure. His dad was in the U.S. military for decades. Um, but there's also a sense of loyalty, and, and that loyalty is born out of the fact that the U.S. came for him when he wasn't even on Holland's radar. He was not even starting for the IX Academy team that he was playing on. The U.S. went, called him up, brought him in, showed him love and attention at a time when the Netherlands had no use for him, and they didn't really have a use for him until he like started to pop. And, and fair enough. you know, They have a lot of good players in that country, and if you're not even starting in your own academy then, of course, the youth national team isn't going to look at you. But he feels that sense of loyalty, and I think he probably feels a chip on his shoulder when it comes to the Dutch as well in, in terms of, you didn't think I was good enough. Yeah. I'm here to prove you wrong. Yeah, I mean, he, if you go back and read the quotes from those early days, he talks about just the fact that he thinks that the U.S. calling him in and giving him that love and giving him that confidence set him on the path that his career took. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for sure, for sure, it's a big game for him. And, and like I said, I mean, like, it's going to be worth keeping an eye on him the whole game. Like, you know, like they used to do. What, what are the the cameras that they'll do on like uh, key players of games? Like the ISO cam. The ISO cams. Yeah, like it's like an ISO cam on Serginho desk for me. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, the big question, though, the other big question is at center back. I think we can say with certainty that Tim Ream will start. He has been, I think, really key for the U.S., particularly in distribution, been defensively really strong. He has been vulnerable on balls in the air. There's been a big chance in every single game, either on a set piece or against Iran, sort of the equivalent of a set piece there at the end where he's not only lost headers but kind of gotten a little beasted on him. Um, the Dutch have some big dudes, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. But who will start next to him? Cameron Carter-Vickers got the nod against Iran, coming in for Walker Zimmerman after two games of starting for Zimmerman. Zimmerman, of course, came on at the end for a three-man center back line and did really well to help close that match out. What do you think for this one, Paul? Well, Greg Berhalter gave a very specific reason for starting Cameron Carter-Vickers. He said he started because with Celtic, Cameron Carter-Vickers plays against teams that are in a low block a lot, and thus he would be very comfortable trying to pass and and through that low block we saw he completed sam you found this that he completed 10 of 10 line breaking passes that he attempted the other night yeah um but i think zimmerman by the way was five of 11 on those passes against yep. england different situation england's putting a lot more pressure on so it's probably harder to complete them yeah but. i i just think that if we're you know the specificity of the matchup it's clear that berhalter's paying attention to those things and i i think it's hard to ignore that one of the the big matchup problems that the U.S. are going to have in this game is on set pieces defensively. I, I don't think you can afford not to have Walker Zimmerman on the field. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I would not be shocked, though, 
if he stuck with Carter Vickers after a good game that he had against Iran. Paul, let's take a quick break. We'll come back in the next segment, talk a little bit more about the Netherlands, where they might be able to be exploited, where they might be able to take advantage of the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasko and Paul Tenorio here previewing the U.S. men's national team's match against the Netherlands in the round of 16 at the World Cup. Paul, we just talked about the U.S. lineup, some questions, some injury concerns. Let's turn our focus, our gaze, through our orange-tinted lenses to the Netherlands. Um, they advanced by winning Group A, beating out Senegal, Ecuador, and Qatar. Um, seven points but didn't really look that great. We weren't able to watch too much of their action because they were playing on the same days that the U.S. was, um, so it's, it's tough to watch those games, naturally, uh, for us when we're running around trying to get to stadiums, but you know, we've done a little bit of scouting, and we've done a little bit of reading and research. One of our colleagues, Jay Harris, from The Athletic, put, a, put together a nice article on kind of outlining how the U.S. can attack Holland and where they need to be aware in defense, but Paul, what do you think Holland is good at? What do you think they're bad at? Where do you think the U.S. can kind of take advantage? What 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 should we, what should listeners out there be aware of heading into Saturday? Well, I think first of all, we we've seen clearly that they've struggled in, in much the way same way the U.S. has, and that's in, in creating real dangerous chances, scoring yeah. goals. Um, you can see that in their expected goal numbers over the course of the group stage. It's been low. Um, you can see, I mean, they had 0.67 expected goals against Senegal, 0.1 against Ecuador, and then 1.6 against Qatar. Um, so that, that's been a problem for them. And, and Gakpo has been the answer. And sometimes that's all you need. It's Cody a special, Gakpo. It's a special actor, player. Yeah. So I think we will start there and just kind of understanding that, you know, for, for all of the talent that this team has, that that's an area they usually don't struggle. When we talk about Dutch teams, chance creation, goal scoring, attacking football, that's that's how you think of the Dutch. That's not this team. Um, like you mentioned, like I haven't been able to go back and watch these three games in full. From some of the moments we saw, the goals that they were giving up, the chances they were giving up, they came out of situations where they got pressed and gave mm-hmm. them the ball both in midfield and in their own defensive third. Um, I think Ecuador did a, a decent job of that. Uh, we saw some moments with Senegal where they were pressing high as well and created some chances out of that. So I think, you know, th- those are both strengths of the U.S. team. Um, I-, I think we could certainly see that happen, trying to trying to cause turnovers and get, get vertical quickly. Um, I- I'm curious just kind of how the U.S. go about trying to combat Gakpo and the f- how important he has been to this team. He's he's moved around a couple times in the in the games. Yeah, he he can play as a winger, uh, as he does at the club level. But he's been mostly central um, in this World Cup. But he drops in, he finds the ball. He's not a, like a box striker. He's a guy who's getting on the ball, um, kind taking of taking guys he, on. He, taking guys on. He's arrived to the top of the box and and had really good moments, both goals and near goals from that area. I think when you look at kind of his touch map and where he's been. You know, Tyler Adams is going to be involved in this matchup. Yeah, big time. And I think that that's a good thing for the U.S. If you want anyone involved in, in shutting down someone else's best player, let it be Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that for me is the big matchup in this game that I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Him and Memphis Depay did a good job of combining uh, against Qatar in their in their final group. They match. Memphis didn't start the first two games because he's sort of been dealing with a little bit of an injury. Obviously, Qatar is a much much different opponent than the U.S. A much worse opponent than the U.S. So, but those two those two are dangerous, and they're they're going to need to be kept an eye on. Paul, they also play Holland with a, a three five two three four two one, and their wingbacks, Dumfries and Blind, like to get high. Yeah, They like to get forward. And that is going, inevitably, to present some spaces in behind for Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah to run through. You talked about how they've given up some chances with turnovers in the middle and defensive third. I'm looking for the U.S. to really try and hit when the Dutch push numbers forward into the U.S. defensive third, win the ball back there break quickly from that kind of a classic counter situation which we haven't seen a ton of from the u.s yeah i mean a lot of the build for the i mean this has always been the way the u.s has played under greg berhalter understandably so when you look at the personnel but they when they're on the ball they like to attack through the wings right yeah. through the yeah. wing play through the fullbacks especially that's actually been a trademark of greg berhalter even as a coach of the columbus crew it's always been important for him to have the fullbacks involved in getting forward in the attack here in this world cup it's been anthony robinson and Sergio dest uh, it's you know it didn't really matter who was on the field in qualifying. We saw them attack through the fullbacks there as well, uh, and and I think that Holland, the Netherlands, is much the same. You know, Daily Blind has been very involved, especially on the left side. I think a lot of their yeah. attacks have come through that side of the field, so it, it presents an interesting matchup. The U.S. have have shown that they can do. Um, they can vary things up. In, in the England game, yeah. they had Wes and McKinney. McKinney's moved right around side. every game. He's played a different spot. And it was McKinney and Dest and Wea that were attacking. Uh, in the next game, McKinney was over on the left side, and a lot more of the attacks went through that side with Anthony Robinson, Christian Pulisic, McKinney, and, and Musa was over on the right. So, you know, this is going to be where the game is played. And, and interestingly, some of the Dutch players were talking in their press conference about the U.S. strengths, and they said, we think – you know, we know that they have a very good midfield. We think we can play around them. Um, I took that as an implication that they're not going to try to play through them in the middle of the field. That's probably wise. Um, no one's that, been able to do that yet. Yeah, <laughs> but, that, but it also fits to their strength. So I think we're, we're looking at a game where it's strength against strength here on the outside, in the wings, and it's who can take advantage of those moments where those spaces open up. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to ask Anthony Robinson and Sergio Dest to sit home. You're just that, no. that's, not, that's not who the U.S. is. Um, and, and so I just think it's, it presents one of those games where it's kind of like, okay, like your best on the outsides against our best Tyler Adams against Gakpo. Like this is, this is strength against strength in a lot of ways. And, and I think, you know, my big fear for the U S in this game is set piece set pieces. Yeah. That that's where I think a game like this could be decided and if i were to talk about like who wins that battle i think you have to say the netherlands are stronger than the u.s they have a distinct advantage yeah so so that for me is is the biggest concern for the u.s going into this game is is how can you be better on set pieces both how do you march how do you mark virgil van dyke yeah on the attacking and on the defensive side as well i mean this is this is an area that i think could be important um for for the u.s in this game absolutely um Paul, you talked about the wing play, and I agree with you that, that most of the match will be played out there. Um, I do want to give kind of a shout, though. You, we talk, you, you talked about it in your previous kind of answer, I guess. Uh, the Netherlands have been turning the ball over a little bit and giving up chances off of that. Frankie de Jong likes to carry the ball himself. He's very good at it. Uh, I think the U.S. will have at least one opportunity where Musa or McKenney or Adams 
win the ball off the young in a dangerous spot and break. So keep an eye for that. The U.S. are going to have to be efficient with their attacking movements, probably more efficient than they have been in the group stage in order to advance. So that could present a good opportunity there. What do you think Berhalter is going to do with McKenney? Because we have seen him move around. Do you think left side again? Like where so Pulisic can kind of stay higher? John Mueller talked about this in in detail in in a really nice article that he wrote on the Athletic. Yeah, my, my guess is that you're going to have uh, Musa playing on the on the right side just to you know be a, a more of a defensive presence somebody who's not going to roam as much and, right. and you're going to give play, some cover to dust yeah you're going to and you're going to have McKenny where he can move a little bit more freely i think that's been some of the design it's like how can we get McKenny to kind of float forward yeah. be involved in the attacks whether but, it's but also in a way that allows Pulisic to stay higher sure yeah and, and i think i think that that's that's going to be a part of this plan again and and so that would be my guess is that we see West and shading left and Moose is shading right in this game. So just like it was against Iran. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. A fascinating matchup. Paul, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to come back with the good stuff. A little bit of the emotions, a little bit of the feeling of the vibes, and a little bit of some predictions. Why not? Stay with us. Allocation Disorder. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Talking about the U.S.'s round of 16 matchup with the Netherlands. Paul, one of the things that I think is difficult for us to sort of get a feel for. You know, we're around this team so much. We know a lot about it, if I do say so myself. Um, but we don't, we're not at home. We don't really, really know how the country is responding to this. But the sense that I've gotten from folks back home, friends, family, uh, is that, yeah, a lot of people are paying attention. That's normal for a World Cup. But it feels to me, Paul, like a lot of people are saying, oh, this team feels a little bit better than maybe past teams. And maybe those that, that were casually interested but didn't really know, know about it are buying in a little bit more. And that big discussion, changing the way the world perceives American soccer, um, I think it was always going to be hardest to achieve that at home. And I think it might be happening a little bit. Um, so I think there's a tremendous opportunity here on Saturday to defeat a country that is seen as a traditional power in the Netherlands and take that a step further uh, for this U.S. team, and I think that's a really cool chance that they have on Saturday. Are you getting that that same sense? We haven't really talked about this, you and I. Yeah, I mean, I think the World Cup is always these flashpoints for the sport in the country. People start paying attention that don't normally pay attention. We're working on a story. Our staff is working on a story that's something to that effect, um, and just that you you start to capture the attention of people. And I think what's been some, an experience that we've lived, not just that we've observed, but that we've lived, is that those casual fans, sports fans who only tune in once every four years, had an impression of this men's national team that they were awful, terrible, um, because the U.S. failed to make the World Cup, because the U.S. has failed to make the Olympics, and they didn't, you know, there's a lack of understanding about the difference between the U23 tournament of the Olympics and the senior team. And so, you know, in, in the minds of a lot of people in our country, the, the U.S. team was men's team was just awful. Like, and there, no nuance, no levels of awful. Just like the women really, really good. The men really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And that's why Charles this, Barkley, the poster boy of that, that conversation. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and, and, and then you look at what Barkley's comments were after the group stage. It was we're coming for you, Netherlands, and we want 
Argentina, we want Germany, we want Spain, which is funny because Germany's out and the U.S. might get a chance to Argentina. They, they really don't want Argentina. They'd much prefer Australia. I'll just put that on the record. But, you know, <laughs> that, you, you sure? Yeah, <laughs> I think I can say that quite definitively. Um, I, think, I think that this tournament matters in changing those minds, in, in making people believe that, hey, we actually have a decent team that, that can play decent soccer and that has good players and that doesn't mean that they're at the same level in the sport that the U.S. women are, obviously. The, you know, they're not winning World Cups. Right. They're yeah. not the standard bearers of the sport. They're not the, the, the team and the program that have been leading the way for decades. But they aren't awful. They aren't. <laughs> they aren't. This, it's a perception gap. We talk about it with MLS all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what this tournament matters for. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really important that they continue to show well in this tournament. I think another win here and getting to the quarterfinal would be massive because let's say you do play Argentina and Messi in the quarters and you lose. No one is going to be like, oh, terrible. These bums. You, lost, right? yeah. you know, <laughs> so so. That's that's a no lose situation for the U.S. Yeah, th th that's yeah. the stakes here, right? I mean, getting out of the group that was the stakes for sure. Now it's kind of all bonus, but getting a win here, it, it would speak to that progress and it would cause excitement ahead of 2026. And that's what this tournament is partly about. We we've acknowledged it many times, Sam. Like you know it, I know it. We've talked about it on our narrative podcast. Like this this group is super young. And this tournament is, is great for building experience and creating these moments that we've seen against England and against Iran and 20 million people tuning in and 15 million people tuning in for the Iran game. And now they're in the knockouts and who knows how many people are going to watch on Big Fox on a Saturday on a weekend. Yeah. You know, these are the moments. On a Saturday, I believe, I can't remember. I'm a college football fan, so I feel like I should really know this. But the regular season is over, I think. Michigan and Ohio State played last weekend, so that's usually the marker for that. There's some championship games coming up. But there isn't as much college football going on, so they'll have more of the calendar to themselves. Yeah, so this, this is the moment, Sam, right? Like, this is it. This is what this team is, is trying to accomplish is right here. Changing minds, making people understand where they are, where they could go. And, and building some momentum for the sport. And the coolest part about it, Paul, we mentioned in the first segment, the team seems really confident right now. And like in a, in a good way, not overly confident, not like brash, not like posturing. It's just like, yeah, I think we got this. Like we feel good about it. Like, and they feel, they feel secure, I would say. I feel like this team has matured significantly from where they were last September when qualifying began, but even matured significantly from where they were this September when we saw them in that window that, that was kind of a disaster against Japan and Saudi Arabia. Um, they feel, I don't know, they, they just feel more kind of at home in themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know what? They're feeling dangerous. And they're feeling dangerous. They're feeling, they're feeling dangerous. Paul, it, are you feeling dangerous? put it in the words of, uh, who was it, Joe Burrow that said that? No, was it Joe? No, it was... Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, right? He's feeling dangerous. Look, I think why, why I said that is because when we did the narrative podcast, we spoke with Greg Berhalter and we talked about his experience in 2002 with the last U.S. team to make a run to the quarterfinal. Yeah. And he spoke about the importance of DeMarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan in, in a veteran team because what they added was a couple things, an energy level, they, and they added a lightness um, in their mentality because they, they didn't fear anything. They didn't know any better, that they, they weren't supposed to do X or Y or Z. They played with that lack of fear, and that transmitted into the group. And I think with this team, there is some of that. Like It's, it's, it's a little different to me. It is different, but it, what it is is it's a belief. It's yeah. like a real belief that they belong here, that they 
deserve the uh, level of respect that they're there yeah. they belong on the field with england they certainly felt like they belonged on the field with wales and with iran that they could boss games and there's no you know there's no questioning of that and i think yeah. that's an important part of this and i think it also it has allowed them to enjoy it yeah and, and that matters yeah no it does for sure i do think it's not we're too young and too dumb to know that we shouldn't be afraid I think that it's just like they know they shouldn't be afraid because they've been in big situations, a lot of them on the club level. That's not to say that they've been amazing in this tournament. They've performed well, but, you know, they haven't been racking up the goals. They've been excellent defensively. They got out of the group. That's, that's fantastic. It wasn't one of the hardest groups in this tournament. I think that's fair to say. And, and, and they, they are where they should be now. And they're in a good position. And they have performed well despite not always converting that performance into chances or goals. So I think they're in a good spot. I think we should all feel pretty positively about this. And Paul, I mean, I feel pretty positively about this game on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to get just one one more thing here. You, you spoke about the growth of this team since September. I, I, I just think there's been a growth since the tournament has started. And part of yeah. it is, for me, you mentioned the fact that these guys have played in these big games before. Some of them have. Um, but they, they've very rarely been asked to be the guy in those games. Mm-hmm. And only one of them has been, you know, only one of them has like Christian Pulisic scored goals in a, in a champions league semifinal in an FA cup final. Um, and, and he scored again in, in the key game against Iran, but there's been a lot of responsibility placed on the shoulders of Weston McKinney yeah. of Eunice Musa of Serginho Dest yeah. in ways that they really haven't experienced at the club level. And that I think is what's led to some of this growth in all of these players is that they Tim underst- Weah too. Tim Weah, they understand that they are key parts of a team on a mm-hmm. big stage. And they've met the moment pretty much to a man. Exactly right. And that's where I think that maturation process has, has come. It's, it's stepping into those responsibilities and fulfilling them and that creating belief within yourself and within the group. Um, so yeah, Sam, that lends to, to how confident are they feeling? Well, how confident are we feeling in the result? I'll, I'll let you lead it off. I'm curious to hear. We haven't even talked about this. We usually, we, we discuss it before the podcast starts. Yeah. Sam, what do you, what are you feeling for this game? They're going to win. I, I feel better about this game weirdly than I think almost any of the group games, not Wales, maybe of course they didn't win against Wales. But uh, no, I like, I really like their chances. I don't think the Netherlands have been playing very well. Um, you know, they should have lost to Ecuador. And if they had lost that game, I think they wouldn't have gone through in the end. Maybe. I can't remember how it worked out. My brain's a little broken. But I don't think the Netherlands have been playing very well. I think the U.S. have. I think the Netherlands are going to be feeling kind of a little bit of pressure here to not be the team that loses to the U.S. in the knockout rounds. I think they're going to be feeling some heat. They didn't make the World Cup last time around either, um, and they're feeling a little bit of pressure to take advantage of some of the, the big-time players they have in their squad. So, yeah, I think I think the U.S. is going to meet the moment, and, and I think they're going to win this game. Uh, I don't know what the score is going to be. Maybe 1-0, maybe 2-1, but I think they'll get through and maybe have a date with Argentina or maybe a date with Leo Messi in his final World Cup. I said Argentina or Australia or, or they're going to play Messi if they win. Let's just say it. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree with you in the sense that I, I think that this U.S. team, like I feel optimistic about where they are, confidence level, all uh, of that. I feel a butt coming. Yeah. I, what scares me, again, is the set pieces. What scares me is yeah. I feel like with both of these teams, but especially with the U.S., the margins have been so thin because the finishing hasn't been there. 
And I don't think that that's going to get solved between Iran and Netherlands, that lack of, of, of sharpness in the final third. If Josh Sargent can't go, it causes more questions at the number nine. Maybe Jesus Ferreira is the answer. Maybe Jesus Ferreira steps onto the stage and he's asked to, to contribute something big for the first time in this tournament, to contribute at all for the first time in this tournament. And he steps up to the moment. This feels to me like a game that's going to be decided in extra time or in penalties. I, I think that this game is going to be super tight. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like in my mind, I keep thinking 1-1, and then anything can happen in the knockout. So I'm going to predict that the U.S. go through, but I just have a lot of nerves about set-piece defending and about where those goals are going to come from. And, and I, I, again, I think you, you couldn't ask, like, if you're the U.S., the way things have gone, this is an okay matchup. Yeah. In the round of 16. The yeah. U.S. should feel good about it. They should feel confident. U.S. fans should feel good about this game. I think it's going to be a good game, going to be fun to watch, but it's going to have that feeling in your stomachs that you had at the end of Iran. Like there are going but to be But that's the World's Cup, Paul. That's the World Cup. The that's best the knockouts, right? We talked about it before the Iran game, Sam. You and I wanting to watch knockout games at the World Cup. Yeah. We saw one against <laughs> Iran. That sucked. I'm, gonna lie, I'm not going to lie. You're sitting on suck. press row. You have beautiful. no idea. You don't, you don't know what you're going to write. You it. don't know what's going to happen. Narratives are changing constantly Paul, as you're watching. Paul, that that's gets it. The juices that's, flowing. That's man. right. It's it's what this World Cup is about. So strap in, guys, because it's coming again. <laughs> strap in. It's coming again. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. We'll be back with a post-match recap on Saturday. I'm Sam. He's Paul. Until then.